0: Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for TWIP is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP and a special insider survey for this podcast is also brought to you by the new 2011 Hyundai Equus. Discover the Hyundai Equus, the new premium luxury sedan from Hyundai, offering first-class refinement and features. Take the insider survey for this podcast at podcastinsidersurvey.com. That's podcastinsidersurvey.com. And Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com slash twip with the offer code TWIP. That's squarespace.com forward slash TWIP, offer code TWIP. and audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com/twip. This week on TWIP holiday photography tips, remotely controlled DSLRs, and shooting in the dust. It's Saturday, December 11th, 2010, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to TWiP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. And joining me today on the show are uh, Mr. Tyler Ginter, Catherine Hall, and Ron Brinkman. Hey, guys. Hey, Fred. Hey, Catherine. Uh, You have not been on the show, like, in forever. What have you been up to in the last, say, I don't know, five years? (laughs)
1: I think I've been swallowed up by work. <laughs> good,
0: good. That's a good thing in this economy, right?
1: Yeah, um, just doing a lot of weddings, and then also definitely continuing with my editorial projects. So I did a big exhibit at Burning Man in August, and I'm also working on a project right now with um, this. I don't, I don't know if you ever seen the show Nine by Design on Bravo, but. Um, the family is some designers in New York City, so I'm working on this project with them, photographing their family. Oh, cool! So it's been really fun. Very, I very
0: want to hear about Burning Man. So, uh, how does that? I know you've been you've been out there for several years in succession. Like from a photographer's standpoint, when you're when you're out there in the middle of that dust bowl, how do you <laughs> how do you like make sure your gear is going to work on day two? <laughs> um,
1: well, first of all, I'd say the biggest tip is do not change lenses. So. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I make sure you know I I don't own this in lens normally, but I just get the twenty four to one hundred five or that one lens that's got that major range, the L series Canon lens, and um, just keep it on my body the entire time, and and then just clean it each night. And honestly, it doesn't even have to be that high tech. Like I just bring canned air, and then I'll actually just use wet naps to wipe it all off. Oh um, wow. So and then when you're changing the you know SD or changing the CF cards, obviously. Use bigger numbers, so you don't have to change as much. Higher gig amount, and then do it in a dust-free environment. So So just
0: common sense, then. Common
1: sense and carrying around a huge plastic Ziploc bag. (laughs) Wow.
0: Hey, Tyler, (laughs) you you've been in uh, kind of dusty environments around the world, right? What what kind of steps do you take to make sure particulate matter doesn't get inside and ruin, you know, your mission?
2: Yeah, she brought up great points, and those are very similar to what we follow. I mean, when you're in conditions in Afghanistan and Iraq, there's very little you can do to keep dust out of the areas you don't want it to go, but yeah, we use actually the we'll trying to stay with one lens, the standard lens, a twenty-four to one hundred five as well um, for the majority of of the war, like the worst missions with the worst conditions we're in. Just so we don't have to swap out lenses. That's probably the biggest tip, like she said, and then from there, just you know, keeping your camera clean is the most important part. And canned air is a great point outside the camera just never ever ever put that stuff in your sensor to try and clean your sensor that'd be bad <laughs>
0: yeah
2: <laughs> don't don't hold it up in a dust storm and blow on the sensor <laughs> yeah exactly
0: yeah hey ron yeah,
3: i I've, i would say that uh, i've had far more problems with dust and especially sand than i've ever had with water for whatever reason it just it gets into stuff and yeah. it's hard yeah, it's the only time I've ever had to send a lens off for you know basically disassembly and and cleaning and reassembly was after a trip to the desert, the Sahara desert actually, and um, that was not cheap.
2: Yeah, yeah I, I will say real quick that it's worth the investment. On I use Canon, so like an L series glass, I know Nikon has equivalents, but getting a glass that's weather sealed all around and and doesn't come. Th- we have some fifty one point fours that we deploy just because it's a great versatile lens, um, but those lenses within sometimes a month or even less will go to crap on us so we're definitely going to start upgrading to 51.2s just because it's more expensive but you pay for what you get because that dust and dirt gets in in the um the focus ring and it's it's over
0: yeah it just ruins it what about what about um uh filters on the front of the camera do you guys do you guys like catherine do you do you use filters on the front or do you just go you know with with the plain glass exposed
1: well, I mean, I always I always have filters on my fronts because, like everyone I'm sure on the show, I have all the L-Series lenses, and I just don't want them to get scratched. But I make sure to buy the highest quality filters. I think that's one mistake. People buy the L-Series lenses, and they buy, I'm not going to name brands, but maybe a less expensive brand or a generic brand. So I personally put NW filters on my, um, lenses, on my lenses. Got it. So I just use a standard UV filter.
0: And What do you guys, Ron and, and Tyler, do? You guys use filters? Because I got—I got to say, I—I I went to this workshop. I don't know, like two year, two or three years ago, it was a Lightroom workshop that was given by Seth Resnick, uh, which is like one of the resident experts on the software and the, kind of an Adobe insider. And his his perspective on filters on lenses were that uh, these expensive lenses, or all lenses in the digital era, were were specifically constructed to maximize your light gathering to throw it on the sensor for uh or without a filter on there so in other words he's saying adding another element in front of the lens kind of kind of uh you know short circuits what the engineers were trying to do when they designed the lens mm-hmm. um, so i don't know i mean i know there's a whole protection argument which we talked about before yeah, you, know, you drop it and you want to have something on there but does it degrade it i know he's going to Anything you put between the light and your sensor is going to scatter light, right? So it, where do you to guys fall on that? Uh,
3: you know, it's, it's like everything in photography. It's that, it's that compromise trade-off scenario you've got of, uh, you know, you're trading one thing off for another. I tend to shoot with filters on the camera. I mean, here's the thing with filters and where they mess with your image quality. If you're shooting something... Uh, in most situations where the lighting is reasonably surround and ambient and stuff like that, I really ch- challenge most anybody to be able to see a difference between a shot taken with the filter on, a good filter on and off. Where filters can bite you is if you've got like really harsh side lighting that will be striking the front of the filter face, or you know something like that, really bright sunlight. That's where you can start to see these these issues. Or if you, you know you've got the sun in frame. You can get some some interglass reflections going on, mm-hmm. so I keep it on. I think the the thing, and my suggestion is usually get the filter, put it on, keep it on there most of the time. But don't be afraid to take it off if the lighting is such that would require you to do that. Yeah, uh, I probably wouldn't keep it on in a studio situation as much. But again, as long as the, you know, as long as you're controlling the lighting and knowing that there's nothing. There's not a really harsh direct light hitting the front of the filter face, you're not going to be able to see the difference.
0: But you you haven't seen any appreciable degradation in image quality with or, you know, with a filter on there as opposed to having it off?
3: Well, I've shot I've shot tests, you know, in in environments where, you know, I, I mean, I would look at very close and you know, you can barely see the difference, you know, if and I'm not even convinced it wasn't because I knew what I was seeing, but it's so minimal compared to the protection you get that, yeah. you know, I think that that trade-off is worth it. But like I said, Uh, I've also shot, you know, I remember for some reason the shot that comes to mind is I was shooting in this big wide open field uh, and the sun was really low in the sky and running across these blades of grass and it was gorgeous and I took the shot and then when I got back and looked at it, it was all washed out and I realized that, you know, the filter had had really fogged it up quite a bit and uh, so that's the kind of situation where I should have taken the filter off,
0: I just didn't. Yeah, Tyler. What about you? I mean, you you've been in some of the most aggressive environments. Filters or no filters?
2: I get nervous when I see lenses without filters. It gives me it's one of those things I've seen because I've seen lenses be be saved from a filter. I mean, because our our lenses and cameras are you know being thrown around and all kinds of stuff. So when uh, I. It's just that extra out of protection you spend less than fifty bucks or so to get a filter, and more for you know really really good filters, but a standard u v filter versus a one thousand two thousand dollar investment is it's worth it to me and uh i I really haven't seen any degradation unless uh, besides like what Ron was talking about in certain circumstances but it it really comes into play if you put um a lot of uh uh, something like a very nd or a fader nd you those are i don't know if people know what that is or not but it's it basically you can turn and get between two to ten stops of light yeah. when you turn the lens and it's used it's actually used more in, in video and film right now with these dull cameras to, to knock out the light and get better depth of field but it's also used in a lot of photography with slow shutter speeds and stuff those will definitely take away the sharpness and there's been lots of tests on that some chromatic aberration here and there but uh, overall, if you put a standard filter on your a standard UV filter, you should not have any issues for the for ninety percent of what you're doing.
0: And for those folks who don't know what that is, it, Tyler was referring to a variable neutral density filter, which which basically allows you to to block out a certain amount of light from the, uh, the from coming in and hitting the sensor, so you can have more control over exposure and that sort of thing. But then have control over. That it's kind of Tyler. It's like adding another another uh, light control to the camera, right?
2: Yeah, it's adding extra ND, basically, you know, stopping the amount of light that's coming and hitting your sensor. So, and, and that's just a, a nice thing to play with when you want better depth of field and it's really really bright outside or like like I was saying, if you're doing slow shutter speed and you want to slow it down to you know a twenty thirty second exposure and get the water really flowing, but it's it's daylight out. There's no way you can do that any other way, yeah. um, besides because you have to have the shutter open in and uh and block some that light out so and and filters in general are just good to play with and learn and know the strengths and weaknesses of different types when it comes to polarizing filters and and using them to to kind of get a bluer sky or or you know uh there's just a whole lot of different types of filters that you can play around with and I, i say use them it's better to put the filter on the lens before it hits the sensor than to try and do those things in post yeah
0: All right, guys, before we continue, I'm going to give a quick nod to one of our sponsors. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by the 2011 Hyundai Equus. We're surveying our podcast audience to learn about your photography preferences, your favorite accessories, and more. So head over to podcastinsidersurvey.com. Tell us what you think, and we'll let you know what the other listeners of this podcast say in an upcoming episode. And while you're there, be sure to check out the new 2011 Hyundai Equus. It features first-class amenities and even advanced technology, such as a forward-view cornering camera and smart cruise control with a collision warning system and it even comes with an ipad loaded with the equus owner's manual application so you can discover a new kind of luxury and take a special survey for listeners of this podcast all brought to you by the new hyundai equus at podcastinsidersurvey.com that's podcastinsidersurvey.com all right guys um on to some topics i wanted to hit on in this show First of all, we did a, an episode, I think it was two episodes ago, we were talking about TSA and how they had detained a photographer to, uh, who was clearly within his rights to take pictures of the security line at airports. This was an episode entitled uh, Airport Insecurity. So listeners, if you want to go check that out, just just look for that on the website or in the, in the feed. Um, but you know what? I got a lot of blowback from listeners of the show saying that we did not hit that topic hard enough and we didn't slam TSA hard enough. And we, we rode the fence on that in terms of, of civil rights, human rights, photographers, rights, et cetera. So I just wanted to take a second first. I want to, I want to take a second to say, you know, this show in particular is not CNN. We don't, know, <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't pose as a CNN we are more of a you know a bunch of guys and and girls getting together talking about things that interest us in photography so you know there's no sort of moral obligation of this week in photo to you know, take a stand and wave the flag and do the Million Man March for any particular topic. You know, we'll hit things that are, that are we're passionate about and we'll talk about them. But in terms of overall, you know, we're, you know, we have a certain level of responsibility because of the size of the audience. But, you know, the spirit of This Week in Photo is that we are, we're here, we're just a bunch of people that like photography talking about it. And we all have different opinions. So I just wanted to put that out there. I mean, do you like Catherine, I want to put it to you. I know you weren't on that show in particular, but the the spirit of that show was TSA saying, "Okay, you know they're basically overstepping their bounds in terms of the things that they can do and getting more Gestapo like uh, and infringing on Americans' rights as they pass through." And in, in, in this case, particularly photographers. Um, where do you where do you fall on that? I mean, do you think TSA should we just like be cattle walking through the security gates and let them just have their way with us until we get to our destination, or should we push back?
1: Well, I mean, you know, this is interesting because it's like you said, this is more than just about photos. This is a very political um, subject, and I'm I have I'm actually very opinionated about all the precautions um, that have been made in a sense of being so hyper-cautious in one area where giving a sense of um, security that's somewhat false because there's a million other ways that we can be attacked.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
1: so putting all our eggs, like, feeling like if we just keep, you know, tightening down on airport security, we're fine. Um, so, but at the same time, like, I, I just feel like it's such a big um, subject that's so, while photography might be a portion of it, it's tied to so many bigger things, you know, with racial profiling and all of it. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as targeting photographers, obviously, I don't agree and I think it sucks. But at the same time, I feel like there's a bigger picture there than yes. just that in itself. And I'm actually just really glad I don't have to do film anymore through.
0: Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Tyler, I'm going to jump over you because I know you're, you know, you may have some restrictions on being able to talk about this. So I wanna, <laughs> I'm going to jump right into Ron Brinkman. And Ron, you know, w- where do you fall in this in terms of people's rights being infringed, you know, moving through airport security?
3: Uh, you know, I, I without rehashing the, the what the other episode was, which I wasn't on. But, I, you know, I think a lot of the problem here, though, is just these TSA agents on the ground are... Not getting the education that they need about what they can and can 't do and and they're just kind of winging it and they're coming up with random things like some guy at the back of the line taking a photo must be a problem let 's go hassle him i 'm not even convinced that this is t s a policy i mean the t s a has definitely got serious issues with how they 're going about it and it's, and it's just and it 's mostly stupidity i mean I really think it's yeah. just it 's just poor planning from the top on down, and that includes all the way down to educating. That uh, that people in the field, you know, at the airports, doing knowing how to do their job and what they can and can't do. So it it feels as much as anything, I like guess, just really bad communication, yeah, uh, coupled with just some dumb policies on the outset. So
0: yeah, you know, and where I fall on it is, you know, I'm I am frightened, you know. Um, in terms of you know, when we go, I'm frightened from a num- number of perspective. From the standpoint of you know, I I titled the ep- the the name of that show Airport Insecurity because I feel insecure when I'm going through airports just because of kind of the blatant political crap that that's mm-hmm. going on there. You know, so I don't. It's not making me feel more secure. It's making me feel like they're you know, kind of three Stooges you know allowing people exactly come, you know so i feel i feel less secure so it's having the the exact opposite effect that they're, they're going for i don't feel like they're they're finding terrorists that are that are going to get on the plane i feel like the terrorists may be smarter than they are you know uh so you know it it frightens me i'm going to be on like five planes within the next two weeks and i'm afraid to get on each and every one of them. so you know we'll see we'll see um But just wanted to recap that. The second thing I wanted to talk about was, Tyler, we did a show um, with the folks that you're you're affiliated with, 100cameras.org. We just kind of highlighted that organization and talked about the things that, that they're doing and you're doing to build their site and all that. And it just so happens that they're running a Squarespace site who happened to be one of the sponsors of This Week in Photo uh, but there was no no connection. And again, the folks came out of the, the uh, closets and, and cried foul that this was a blatant kind of promotional show, which it in no way was. And I just wanted to have you talk to that just for a couple of seconds to maybe ally some fears.
2: Yeah. I, and I, I felt really guilty after I saw some of the, the, the posts. And I just want people to understand that I have, me or 100 cameras have zero affiliation. We don't get any kickbacks, nothing from Squarespace. It's It's kind of like and I, the way I I, I kind of represent it is kind of like any kind of gear that you might use. I, I get kind of excited when I ha- find a product that really works, and Squarespace has worked great for us, but it doesn't mean that's the only option out there. And uh, I, I really didn't want it to take away from the bigger part of the show, which was helping these kids out, because I, I just wanted to bring a part of the back end, how to build websites, the importance of building websites to get out there. And really what I talked about can be applied to anything, so... Um, please don't. I hope nobody took offense to that episode and, and, and having less of a feel for the organization and what it's there to, to to support and help these kids. Yeah. Great. Thanks
0: for that. Yeah. All right. OK, enough serious stuff. Um, all into all, now into something a little bit more festive. Holiday photo tips is what I wanted to talk about. Shooting, sharing and surviving the holidays. Catherine, um, some tips from you from, you know, the the professional photographer that shoots people for a living, or I'm sorry, photographs people <laughs> for a living.
1: I shoot them, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what? Go, give us some tips. People are going into the holidays, going to the, all these parties, you know, corporate parties, friends, family, all this stuff. And if you're a listener of the show, chances are you're probably the photographer of your family, which means you're going to get stuck with the camera. So what what should they do? What are a couple tips of what they can do to make sure they get good shots?
1: Um, I would say... Making sure that you prioritize it if it's important. And what I mean by that is if you're, for example, together with family and it's not normal that you're all together, actually take time, like pull a half an hour where you're saying, look, we're just going to do photos during this half hour. So it doesn't have to be totally structured, but just not, you know, not looking back saying, oh, I wish I had actually taken some time and pulled people away. You know, Um, that would be one tip. Um, the next tip I would say is just to, I mean, it depends on, I mean, for me personally, I'm not one to carry around a big camera all the time. So just having a high quality point and shoot that's accessible and with you at all, at all times is really good. Um, and then the last thing would be with that. If you are using a compact camera playing with, um, I know this seems somewhat non advanced, but. Playing with the flash settings so that you're able to get, you know, the Christmas lights and stuff like that. So most compact cameras have the slow sync option for their flash and trying to use that so that you're not necessarily blowing out the backgrounds and getting yeah. ambient light. Um, those would be, I guess, my my tips.
0: Very cool. That's awesome. Run Ron, what what do you think? I know you're you're the kind of you know, Mad Max Road Warrior photographer of the group, but what would you do uh, holidays? You know, to or what, what is tips Mad would Max you do? Road Warrior photographer. You don't know. Tell me, you, you, <sighs> Catherine, you're not. You tell me you're not young enough. You don't know who Mad Max is.
2: Uh, <laughs>
0: oh my God! Okay. I All don't
2: right. know who Mad Max is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, you don't know who Mad Max is either. Sorry. Oh my. Okay. All right. Yeah, you um, guys we need, need to gonna, go watch some movies We need to pause this and okay you, so you don't know who you don't know what thunderdome is you don't know who have you heard of tina turner yes <laughs> see now you're getting into the uh, third one or something yeah see thank you ron you know you know what i'm talking about see listeners are gonna write in and say oh they didn't know what bad max uh, um so
3: you have to go I'm watch the, the show
1: movie. five years <laughs>
0: <laughs> Watched the movies
3: Mad Max and Road Warrior. I'm not sure I I quite fit into that category as yes. much as Frederick would like me
0: to. You do, you do. You, There's
3: uh,
1: Thunderdome at Burning Man. <laughs> thank you. That's
0: where it came from, Catherine. You went to Burning Man, which was you need to you need to go Netflix uh, Road Warrior today. You need right. to watch that, and you will see basically the whole movie is Burning Man. <laughs> so.
1: There
0: you go. All right, Ron, what are your tips for uh, uh, for
3: holiday shooting? Yeah, so in in the more confined and normal environment of a nice holiday setting. <laughs> um <laughs> I, well, I yeah, I guess two things. Number one, you you mentioned holiday parties uh, at work and I think it's everybody's responsibility to get as many compromising photos as possible of people doing things that they're embarrassed about. So put that on the list. Yep. Facebook them? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, anybody you see this drinking too much, follow them around <laughs> um, you know i i I think this this kind of goes to your responsibility as a photographer if you 're identified as the photographer for the for the day at the family gathering or something uh it 's not just to get good shots it's also I think you have a responsibility to be the person that goes through and sort of does the organizing on it and basically throws away a lot of stuff so that you don't have to share here's the 500 photos I took of, of this Christmas gathering because nobody's going to look at them then. I think you sort of have the responsibility as part of being a photographer and this is true as a professional photographer or as a hobbyist or anything where you're dealing with providing photos for people uh, part of your responsibility is to organize these photos and, and boil them down to a, a, a decent set as opposed to just a whole lot
2: Tell some type of story with it. Yeah, yeah. So you just don't yeah, not Random. Yeah.
0: Tyler, what are, what are your what are your tips beso- uh, besides telling a story?
2: Well, no, yeah. I mean, that just going on to what he was saying is is after you get all this stuff together, just to, even to challenge yourself is as any project you go out and work any same with any mission that we go out and, sh- and shoot. It's coming back in, editing down as and you're the you're the pro. You're the photographer. You make those selections that are able to best portray what you want the message you want to get across and the themes and things like that so it applies anything as simple as as filming over the holidays i also wanted to cover on kind of tips of of photographing snow which is kind of kind of a challenge when if you never never tried it before uh there's a lot of harsh light and it's being reflected basically the earth's a big reflector especially once it if it's bright and bright sunlight and during the day so a couple recommenda- recommendations i've used in the past and i've gotten from friends and stuff is uh and this applies to ph- photography all the time you you want to shoot during magic hour if possible and and that that really kind of helps uh that harsh light from bouncing back off off of the 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 ground also things if it's actually snowing out uh you want to get any kind of protection on that camera if it's you know just they make water uh kind of rain bags that you can put across it, which will definitely help. But it, it along, with, along with shooting when it's snowing, just as long as your camera's protected, you can play around with the shutter speed. So if you do a slower shutter speed, obviously the snowflakes are going to kind of streak, and you can even set up on a tripod. But if you get a flash out, and it's during magic hour and a little bit darker, you can kind of stop those the snowflakes in midair and kind of get some different interesting looks. So just some stuff to play with. Just because it's snowing out doesn't mean you can't take your camera out if it's protected well. And going along with that there's some really cool, and you know, I'm a, kind of a big time lapse guru, but there's some really cool time lapse you can do with watching, especially if, like last year in DC, I missed out because we got I forget how many f- feet of snow, it was crazy. Um, and I should have brought my camera out and did a time lapse of all the snow coming up. So I'm hoping if it snows again like that this year, I'm definitely gonna wanna go out and do a, a long time lapse of that of the snow. Uh, that's, a, that's a great edit, tip. Um, you
0: know what would be cool? Uh, a time lapse, like for folks to set up a camera, put it on a tripod and do a time-lapse time shot uh, or video of decorating the Christmas tree?
2: Oh, I, I've seen a couple of those on uh, – on a couple of my friends actually did that. One of my friends, Matt Jepsen, posted that on Facebook, and it was actually really cool. It's everywhere from bringing the tree to setting up the lights and, and uh, having a beer during. <laughs> yeah. So it was, <laughs> it, was, it was cool. That's definitely that's a great tip. Any, anything like that is, is a lot of fun. That's cool. Catherine, were you
0: going to say something? I so that is cool. Yeah. And I was wondering, so Tyler, you being, you know, so deep into, you know, sort of time lapse in that, that genre of photography, how do you, how, for the folks that have never done that, just like step us through. How do you, you know, if somebody wants to do that really quick and try it right after the show and they have a 5D Mark II or a 7D, what, what are the, what are the next steps?
2: Well, I wrote them all out on my blog. So the latest blog on uh, filming time lapse have a step-by-step guide that I developed over about a year. So it, how convenient! It'll kind of, it'll, it'll help <laughs> out, but I mean, just generic. There's a lot of steps that go into it to set it up nice and easy uh, for your first time. If you're not trying to, if you're just trying to get out there and start, is just put your camera in auto mode and and set your intervalometer up to do whatever second exposures, and then. Uh, there's tutorials online. Um, Philip Bloom actually did a great one just using QuickTime Player. And you can, just to get started, warmed up to it. But as you get advanced, you want to shoot everything in manual and you want to uh, make sure your intervals are set properly. And if you want to do things like astro time-lapse, there's a whole lot of extra steps in 30-second exposure. And I outlined all that in my blog post, but it, I mean, I could go on for hours well, about. Well, first I'm of all, not, defi- I the think basic. The key, oh,
0: the, key, the key piece in that is the intervalometer. So, d- just for folks who may have just blushed over that or brushed over it, what is an intervalometer?
2: Well, if you're a oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. If you're a if if you're li- if you're a Nikon photographer, you get a bill right in the camera, so that's a great perk of having Nikon's. For Canons, they the intervalometer, the standard Canon intervalometer costs about one hundred fifty dollars. My pick of the week a couple weeks ago when I was on the show was the, the Link to Light version, which is 20 bucks, and you can't beat it. It takes about three, it sometimes can take up to three weeks to come in mm-hmm. straight from uh, Hong Kong. So. <laughs> but uh, it works like a charm and you can get started with that. So an intervalometer basically sets uh, the, ti- the shutter to a timer. So, every, however you set it up, it'll take a, take a photo. It'll also do, um, uh, in bulb mode, it'll count, do a timer. So, it'll count down. The amount of time that the bulb is open, mm-hmm. and then it'll take a delay after the bulb closes of whatever how many seconds, and then take the next bulb with it, that's cool so. Yeah, it's just it's just a way to interval the the frames you use. So you shoot.
0: throw the you throw the camera on a tripod, you aim it at something that's gonna move from time to time, like a plant, you know, yeah. over over a month, or a Christmas tree over, say, an hour and a half or so, and the intervalometer will take a photo, say, every one second, or every minute, or every five minutes, or whatever interval you set. And I'll snap a picture and stitch them all together if you want, right? I mean, we'll, yeah, we'll and it'll, it'll stitch it up. It'll okay. stitch them together in a in a uh, and give you a like a QuickTime file, or do you have to take those individual shots and merge them together and, and make
2: them a well, movie? Well, my workflow is a little more advanced. I'll bring them. I mean, there's two ways to do it. You, I, I, if I really want to do one that that has the most control, I'll bring everything into Lightroom. I'll do. Uh, Obviously, I shoot all these in RAW. That way, you have as much dynamic range and, and, and exposure control that you want and white balance and stuff. So I'll bring it into Lightroom. I'll do all of my color correction on them on one photo, usually in the middle somewhere where it's kind of at its peak. And then I'll sync those all those settings to the rest of the photos in Lightroom. You can just do that by selecting all and syncing. And then I'll export them all as JPEGs, bring the JPEGs into After Effects, uh, set up your composition to whatever you want it to be, usually HD at 1080p, and then I'll compress all the I'll compress the final QuickTime movie out of there, then bring it into Final Cut or Premiere to do the final edit on all of them together. So there's a lot of steps, but there's a quick and easy one that Philip Bloom has that is just how to use QuickTime player and import the image sequence in and then export it out in whatever settings you want. So it's a it's a free way to do it without all the advanced software just to get started. And that's the thing is, and I, I brought this up before, but time-lapse is probably one of the cheapest ways, I mean, it's one of the cheapest, coolest things you can do with your DSLR that you have right now, or even a point and shoot because all you really need if you don't have the intervalometer built in with the Nikons, you buy a $20 intervalometer, and you can produce uh, uh, basically 2K, 1080 actually um, higher than that, almost 5K of uh, footage. What I mean by that really ultra-high-resolution video footage That can be used in IMAX theaters or whatnot. So, I mean, you have really professional content on the video side of things that you just can't do any other way, and you get some really cool effects. So, it's just a neat neat thing to put in your in your your toolkit, and it's definitely a lot of opportunities to do it over the holidays with things going on and, and. people running around holiday parties or Chris, like you say, Christmas trees or snow falling and things like that. So, yeah,
0: so we'll, we'll link over to that from
2: the, from the show yeah, notes. Absolutely. So folks can see the tutorial any, that you put. If anybody together. has any questions on things they're having problems with, please feel free to email me and I'll get back with you.
0: Cool. So we're going to, Ooh, we're going to put your email address in the show notes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. All right. You heard that. You can, you can email Tyler directly. Cool. Yeah, it's on my website. It's on my blog. So okay. I, I try and get back to as many people as I can. Very cool. All right. Awesome.
0: So just one, one little uh, addition onto the holiday photo tips thing. Um, one of the stories that we were going to touch on is smartphones and point and shoots and all that stuff. So would it make sense or – and I would throw this to you, Ron Brinkman – Um, on the, you know, say most people today are walking around with their, with their, with their, you know, iPhones or Androids or whatever phone that has a, has a decent camera on there. So, but the problem is those cameras don't typically have decent low light sensitivity. Um, so what should they do? So if if I'm at a holiday party, I want to get some shots. I've got my iPhone with me. What's a tip that I can use to get a decent shot of the goings on there. And if all I have is this low light sensor or this non-low-light sensor? Turn on some more lights. (laughs) See? Mad Max right
3: there. That's what Mad Max would say. Seems pretty easy to me. Uh, uh, Mad Max would say, shoot all the guests and you don't have to worry about it. Light some fires. Um, uh, You know, it's it's that... you know, no different from any other photography problem when you got low light. Uh, ideally, you, you get people to move closer to whatever light source there is. And, you know, even if it's... I mean, even these uh, uh, bad bad little sensors in some of these smartphones, uh, if you have somebody and just get them very close to it, even a candle, if they get close enough, you're going to have some light to get an interesting and oftentimes a, a really nice exposure. So you just kind of have to be aware of, of where your light sources are, try to get people into it, make sure they're, they're, the light isn't behind them because... Uh, again, these these point-and-shoot uh, and, and especially camera phones or phone cameras are very sensitive to backlit subjects and not quite getting that correct. So it's it's the usual stuff. I, I did have one other uh, one other suggestion too for Christmas photos in particular because mm-hmm. I was looking through some old old ones the other day with my sister, and um, there was a few of them of us as kids, with all of our presents surrounding us, the presents that we've gotten. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen plenty of old pictures of, of me and my family, but we spent a lot of time looking at, I remember that toy. So, you know, you've got to remember that when you're a kid, the, the toys that you get at Christmas, they, they may be something that we're really you know, are going to be impactful for you for a while. And seeing all of those things and being able to just be reminded of all the toys you got that particular Christmas is, uh, I think it's a, a powerful thing to have, uh, to look back on years and years later.
0: That's a great tip. Yeah. Take pictures of the toys.
3: Yeah.
1: I have one more tip and I like that tip, Ron, by the way. Um, Make sure you're at least in one photo.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's a great tip. Absolutely. It's the photographer's dilemma, right?
1: (laughs) At least once you have like some sort of proof you were there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Nope. nope, Absolutely. It's in the metadata. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, let's move on. Um, I wanted to talk about this, this, piece of kit that just that uh that's in the show notes it's called a blue slr dongle um and i know tyler you you know a little bit about this thing what what is it
2: yeah it looks really cool i, I they don't make it for the canon stuff yet so it's only for nikon currently and they say they're going to release it for canon and pentax and sony hopefully in the future but it's basically and ron, ron can talk a little bit more about it too but it's basically a little dongle that you stick into your uh, nikon port basic and it, all it does is it uh, accepts a Bluetooth signal. I don't know if it does Wi-Fi or not, but it uh, it detects a Bluetooth signal from your iPhone or iPad, and you can control the shutter, the aperture, and it even has an interval mode. So I don't know. I was trying to look online. I might send them an email. I don't know if it actually does full intervals. I think it just does like c- timers and countdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, if that that's really that's huge. I mean, the fact that you can. Base, and it'd be used a lot for studio stuff and and maybe setting up on tripods and walking away and getting actually getting yourself in the shot and you just pull out your iphone and and trigger off and set up the camera settings the way you want um i don't know if it actually sends the 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 the, the snapshot you take to your phone yeah, yeah it but does. that's the next that will that would be the next evolution of this kind of technology i mean it it should be you would think it almost be perfectly capable, but maybe it would have to take that out of the HDMI signal. I don't, I don't know, but this is just one step in the right direction of what we want to see in the future of being able to control your cameras more with an external device.
3: Love yeah, that. it's you know when I when I saw I've been thinking about this for a little while. You know, it's it's just one of those things that it occurred to me a while back. You know, all the technology is there to be able to have a Bluetooth connection between your phone and your camera to control it remotely. Uh, it 's just something that hasn 't been implemented, and, and we 're still seeing this all the time and it 's just driving me nuts that it still feels like these camera manufacturers aren 't thinking about a world where uh, computers and smartphones exist you know and, and they're and they 're still trying to come up with these things that are self contained when there 's so much more out there that they could be doing so this particular device is really simple, and it 's just a Bluetooth connection to a remote trigger that happens to be you know, it's wireless. It, it uses a Bluetooth connection to go through it. But I think Tyler's right that this is the kind of thing where it's only going to get more and more common. And, and it still feels like whatever manufacturer is out there that comes out with a more programmable camera that has good communication capabilities and be controlled by this is really going to have a huge win on their hands. Um, now,
2: now, oh, go ahead, sorry. I
3: was just going to say, um, th- this is kind of a pricey solution, and you know, especially when you think that you should be able to buy... You know, you can integrate bluetooth into a device for really like a matter of pennies probably these days so the fact that this is i don't remember where this was but it was over a hundred dollars wasn't it
2: uh, yeah i think i think close to uh, another really cool feat I, I didn't mention it it goes it goes up to about 300 feet away so you could set this up as an external camera while you're doing something if you're doing wildlife or different types of photography date that would it would be some some great uses for that just setting up somewhere walking far away from your subject and then kind of watching or just filming, even doing behind-the-scenes shots of yourself. You're setting up somewhere. You can set up a camera somewhere else, and every so often you can snap off what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing this actually does that I didn't mention yet is it, and actually this might even be the cooler part of it, is it has GPS enabling. So if you have your smartphone in your pocket, which already has GPS, it'll actually send that GPS and embed it into the, each photo. Oh, that's so cool. So come back and geotags for you. So a lot, of, a lot of cameras, and it's such a small device, the, the GPS uh, tools that you can buy, from Canon, Nikon directly are probably more expensive than this is, and it does both the geotagging and the uh, the uh, Bluetooth or the, uh, the 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 triggering functions. So I'm just, pretty, I'm just trying short. to
0: think. I'm trying to think real world. You know, from from you know doing photo walks and shooting people and, and that kind of thing. Is there a place you know for like the people shooter, Catherine? You're a people shooter. You know, would do you see any use for like remotely triggered photography, or is this mainly? you know, for like wildlife or people that want to hang their camera on the, you know, the rim of the basketball hoop to get the the layup shot or something. Would you ever
1: use this? I mean, I think there's always, definitely, I don't know that I would use it necessarily as much. Um, but a lot of times there's just, you know, having that option when it does come up. So I'm not itching for it, but it's not something I would not take advantage of if it, it was available.
3: Yeah, well, it kind of it kind of does two things for you. Really, it it gives you in addition to the geotagging, it, you know, it gives you it's a, it gives you a remote trigger, which can be useful in certain situations. Uh, like Catherine said, if you want to take that one holiday photo where you're in it, you can you can use it for that. Uh, and it gives you intervalometer kind of capabilities. I don't know how extensive that is yet, but clearly that's just a software upgrade once you have the hardware. Yeah, exactly. In place. Yeah. So, you know, you should be able to get and, and I mean, the, the Canon intervalometer or the, or the eBay knockoff, which I totally recommend, too, because it's absolutely as good as the Canon one, uh, is you know, it's a funky kind of an interface. And I've uh, if I don't use it for a few months, I'll have to like look at it again and try to remember what the weird little icons mean on it. Mm-hmm. And this gives you just a, a really extremely simple interface to setting up. And you can do all kinds of odd intervalometer kind of stuff if you wanted to, you know. But
0: if you didn't want to do intervalometer stuff, if you just wanted to trigger your camera, wouldn't a say a pocket wizard be better? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just playing devil's advocate uh, here. Bad, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, what's it's, it's Because then stuff. you can use it for other things. I mean I you know it's like okay, I love my phone, but I you know, triggering my camera would be great if I think for me, I would love to be able to see through live view on my on my on the D seven thousand or D seven hundred if I could put it into live view and see what my camera sees on the back of the camera and then you know okay yeah perfect so i'm doing some some still life shot or something yeah, sure. and you know trigger it like that but then uh, you know other than that if i'm doing remote stuff where I need my camera three hundred feet, a thousand feet away from me. Why not just trigger it with a Pocket Wizard or one of those technologies? I don't know. Uh,
3: well, it, yeah, you know, it, it's just a, it's a different option. You know, yeah. it, it's it's the kind of thing. If you got Pocket Wizard, sure, but how much
0: do those cost? You know, they're expensive. But then you could use it for other things. Like you could trigger your strobe, right? Because it's just a, it's just a trigger mechanism. I can put yeah.
2: one on a strobe. That's yeah, but it it's feet also away. lets you change the shutter speed and aperture and all okay. the different settings in the camera. Yeah. But I also I'm curious with everybody else. I mean, how how important do you do you all see uh, geotagging in the future? Because it's one of those things that I, we still don't have a, a viable solution that's cheap and affordable, and it's not built into these high-end DSLRs yet. And it's, I, for us in the military, it's definitely something that we want to have and we need to have uh, just to preserve, you know, the future of, of where these photos are coming from. But more importantly. Uh, things that, like, Microsoft's doing the Photosynth and things that Flickr's yeah, doing exactly. and building these digital worlds and and uh, having exactly pinpoint locations where these photos are taking, I, I I see it as as something that's very valuable to have in, in your photos. I don't know if anybody else has experience with clients asking for that kind of feedback. I think feedback it's the future. Like I, think,
0: I think it's totally the future, but I think it's not going to take on until... Geo-tagging your images is as simple... I mean, it happens automatically, like yes. the timestamp. You know? yeah, totally Every photo great. is timestamped. It should be... The geo-data The geo data should be attached to it until, until it's that easy. And, in, and while it takes 15 different steps to, okay, it's stamped. Now I got to import it here. Now I got to bring the, the track in from Google, yeah, all this stuff. No one's going to do that, or your average consumer is not going to do it. And I think until... It gets simple enough that it's exposed through ease of use or that it's just automatic. You know, people aren't going to start experimenting with it and we won't discover all these magical things that people can do with it.
3: Yeah, absolutely right. You know, it's... it's I mean, for for your average photographer, do you need it all the time? No, you know, it's it's, it's equivalent to a lot of the other exif data in there. Where most of the time, I don't need to know what aperture I shot a particular photo at. It's only it's only whenever I particularly want to know that will yeah. I go back and do it. And I think that's the same thing for geotagging in a lot of cases. Uh, but it is something that's going to get built in. And
0: yeah,
3: you know, right now, yeah, I don't I don't do much of it. I mean, fortunately, aperture makes it really easy for me to just kind of pop out my my iPhone every now and then when I'm traveling and shoot a shot, and then later on have it sort of take that in and intelligently kind of figure out, okay, these photos were all shot at about the same time as the one he took on the iPhone, and I've got geotagging for the iPhone photo, so let me just assume that the rest of these photos were taken at approximately the same location. You know, that's a very lightweight method of getting geotagging on all of your photos, um, and that's that's probably... You know, the, I mean, I wouldn't do any more effort than that, really. There's some iPhone apps that do more extensive. I mentioned one a few weeks back that do more ex- extensive geotagging and syncing. And if you really need it, you can do that. But uh, you're totally right. That's the kind of thing that it's just got to be built into the camera, and it should be.
2: Yeah, yeah, I uh, know. Yeah, and that's the key point. It should be. And I, and if if people like like we say, if if any of the twippers have any direct contact or talk, just when you go to the any kind of trade shows or talk to. Any manufacturers, those are things that we should be asking for because I really think that we're doing ourselves an injustice by not having that feature built into our DSLRs and our, in the most cameras. I mean, we got it in our iPhones, but it's just, it's really cool. I don't know if you've seen those websites where you can go back in certain locations and see what, you know, Times Square looked like and, and you can do like this kind of, uh, pan around this area, and then you can overlay what it looks like today. And I think that's just really cool technology that is yeah. here today. We just we just need to be implementing that uh, that data to give them.
0: Hey Tyler, I I heard that they were they were I think Adobe was talking about this that they were going to push the geotagging technology a little bit forward in terms of instead of just pinpointing the position on the planet where your camera is, it would incorporate what. Your what lens focal length you were loo- using and where it was focused. In other words, it would be able to geotag the photo at the location of the photo being taken. You know, like so, yeah, and- taking a picture of a tree that's five hundred feet away from me. Instead of it, instead of it, pinpointing me, it would pinpoint that tree and embed that in the data. You think that? Have you heard about that?
2: Yeah, and I think that's kind of what PhotoSense doing. It'll, and I don't know, I don't know all the specs exactly, but. They're they're using all that metadata to drive location. Even in the iPhone, I think there's apps, and I'm not I'm not i I'm not an expert on this, but I think with the uh, uh, the um, the gyroscope, the gyroscope, they're even able to kind of pinpoint where you're aiming the camera at from yeah. your GPS location. So that's what I'm saying is, yeah, it, in the future, we're going to be able to build a digital photography world. So when you go to Google Maps in the future, I mean, if you if you allow your photos to be public. I mean, you're basically building a photographic world of of around you, and you can zoom in, turn around, and see whatever represent what the representation of your surroundings were. You know, fifty years ago versus today versus ten years ago, and yeah. I think it's just a really cool, a wouldn't really that, cool thing in something? the future of photo. Yeah. wouldn't
0: that be something if all the photos on Flickr were geotagged appropriately, and then exactly. and then you sucked them into Google Maps. You know, assuming Yahoo and Google could get along, and, and they were all oh. positioned
2: in space. And yeah. yeah, wouldn't that be yeah. cool? Yeah. Oh well,
0: Catherine, have you? I mean, I know you. You've traveled to to different places around places around the world. Have you ever experimented with geotagging? And and would you?
1: I think for me, I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely techie in some ways, but this way isn't as, as inspiring as inspiring to me. Um, I think the main use for me would be even just from a searchability organizational standpoint, being able to pull up imagery that I may have gone to the same place several times and, and just have access right away in a more specific way than I would necessarily have via just straight meta tagging. Yeah. Um, I think that's the only thing that I can think of like in my mind right now is how it would be useful for my way of photography. Um, so
0: Yeah, no I, I totally agree. I think I'm in the same boat with you. It's uh, you know, Tyler, until it until it becomes in there automatic, it, it's 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 gonna be, you know, I think on the fringe, I know Joseph lanaski 's on the show. He's a the, he's travel junkie on Twitter, and he's you know he travels around the world all the time. And he has his iPhone with him and snaps a photo with his iPhone to capture the geo the the geotagging information or the, his latitude and longitude, and then marries that up in Aperture later, you know, to sort of pinpoint where the photo was taken. And to me, it's it's cool. And it, you know, if you keep up with it and you do all this stuff, and you you know a year later you go back and you say, hey, look, I was over there, and here's the photos from that point. That's cool, but it's still too many steps. And, and I, yeah. you know, it's all about the photography. If photographers are concentrating on making great images, and they're like, "Oh man, now I gotta I gotta go in there and do this too," <laughs> you know.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I agree, but you know, I, I will say I think the point of uh, shooting a shot every now and then with your iPhone and just letting aperture kind of figure out the rest of it is is pretty lightweight. And like, like I said, that's the level that I'm willing to go to as well. It's just sort of you take a shot every now and then with your iPhone, and if you happen to. Have Captures some geotag data then it uses it otherwise it doesn't so it's not it's not much more effort at that point if any because you're already going to be taking iphone snaps every now and then
0: yeah
1: all I right go ahead. Of- go
3: ahead go ahead, go ahead.
1: <laughs> well that kind of just illustrates my point like in regard to like some people love 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 technology so the idea of being able to utilize something that's new and take advantage of it is worth that extra effort and that's good for them like joseph is the perfect example for that. Yeah. yeah. And whereas me, like if it's there, Frederick, like you said, if it's built into the camera, I'll totally utilize it, but I'm not, I'm not going to go the extra steps to add it in.
0: Yeah. All right. A quick nod to another one of our sponsors, uh, squarespace.com We're brought to you by them. And they're the fast and easy way to publish a high quality website or or blog. And they've announced the new social widgets like we've been talking about over the last couple of episodes. There's a new Twitter widget to add in multiple Twitter accounts, filter by keyword, customize it, etc. A native Flickr widget to bring in multiple accounts and vary the layout and plus a, a native RSS widget so you can pull in feeds from any site that supports RSS, which is most of the blogs on the web. So definitely check that out. If you'd like a if you like to check out some sites that were built with Squarespace.com, just go over to Squarespace.com forward slash examples, and you can see some things that folks are doing with the technology. If you like a free trial, you can head over to Squarespace.com slash TWIP. You don't need a t- credit card. You can try it out, build your website. Then if you decide to purchase it, you'll get 10% off for six months when you enter the offer code TWIP. That's Squarespace.com slash TWIP. All right, guys, it's time for the listener Q&A. Every week, our producers scour the TWIP forums at thisweekinphoto.com slash forum to find the best questions for us to answer. And this week's questions are pretty interesting. Ron, I think I'm going to give you the first one. You want to take that one?
3: Yes. Uh, Tsunami99, listener from Tokyo, says he's looking for a camera that is compact but has good low-light performance. Um, something like the Canon S95 or the Lumix LX5. Uh, he, he thinks even something like the Canon G12 is, is too large due to its bulk. Uh, it is quite a bit bigger in terms of the camera. Um, and then he goes on to say, having said that, he was looking also at some of these micro 4 solutions like the Lumix GF2 from uh, Panasonic, and sort of just talking about what the compromises are there uh, with getting a good compact camera that can still shoot in low light. Um... Yeah, you know, I'm. I I tend to travel with uh, my full size camera, my 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 big Canon, and then some sort of a smaller point and shoot that I still want to have good capabilities. And for a long time, I traveled with uh, an LX three, which is the previous model of the Panasonic. And you know, these are fairly small, uh, with fairly fast lenses, and uh, they're still point and shoot, so so reasonably small sensors. I just got like last week. I had a camera credit that I had to use, so I was forced to get a new camera. <laughs> uh, but I got the uh, the Canon S95, which is sort of their equivalent to that, and uh, seems to be a really nice camera, too, and it's the same sort of a scenario of fairly compact, uh, a fast F2 lens, uh, so it's got decent light gathering capability there, not ultra, ultra high resolution. They don't push the megapixels up as far as they can go, but rather they try and give you a good balance that gives you a little bit more light sensitivity. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's probably going to be my, my carry around uh, point and shoot for the next uh, couple of years as well. Uh, but having said that, I have looked into the, the Micro Four Thirds, and it's a really interesting solution. And I'm very tempted, especially for a lot of the traveling, the road warrior traveling that uh, <laughs> Frederick claims I do. But, you know, situations where, you know, you're running around, you just don't like the idea of carrying a big bag full of gear just mostly in my case cuz i'm lazy uh you know there's the new Panasonic Lumix GF2 which is a very small body and then the other thing of course is you you get very small but good quality lenses for that is an interesting solution i i could conceive of, of myself being in a world you know not too distant future where i would buy just a, a, an equivalent set of gear that's in that smaller form factor and use that as my travel gear uh, and definitely, the the Micro Four Thirds format is is a much larger than your typical point shoot in terms of the sensor size, uh, and will have good low light capability. I have not seen a side by side of low light capabilities on the uh, something like the S95 versus the GF1, which is available GF2. But it's, I'm sure that the you know the bigger you get, the better it's going to be. So it's the same thing of a trade off.
0: Awesome. I All
1: think right. I want to throw in one thing. Go ahead, Catherine. I am um, just bought the S95, and if you are out there and you are sort of deciding between the S95 and the G12, that was me. Mm-hmm. And I, I went with the the S95 simply because if you look at the specs, I mean, other than the viewfinder, there's really not a whole lot more you're getting out of the G12. Yeah. And for that size difference, I mean, the reason why, if I really am going for the quality, I'm going to carry my SLR. Exactly.
0: Um,
1: and so the size difference is pretty drastic you know the the s95 can fit in my pocket whereas the g12 it's still you know you're carrying around a camera so i mean if you're really i don't know i went with s95 and i absolutely love it
3: yeah the the only thing you know having had the lx5 prior to this the only thing i can say that i really miss on my uh lx uh three or yeah the lx3 that i have uh is that it has a much closer focusing so i could do some really extreme macro shooting with that lx3 and the the s95 is just a little bit further out but other than that yeah it's so much more pocketable uh and definitely than the, the bigger canon so I'm, I'm pretty happy with it
0: very cool all right question two is from mason pelt in dallas texas tyler you want to take this one
2: yeah, he's asking, uh, what kind of memory card should I get with a Canon 6D? But he's he's planning on shooting more video than photos with the camera, and speed is a priority for him. So I I highly recommend, I mean, I, I shoot with Compact Flash. Now I know the 6D takes SDHD, so I don't have as much experience minus the GoPro HD helmet cams and stuff that we use. Uh, but one thing you want to be critical of, and I know it's the, this is the way it is for Compact Flash cards, is, um, UDMA is extremely important, and this and basically, UDMA cards give a certain speed. Now, they don't actually spec UDMA for SDHC cards, but you want to get something that is at least around thirty megabytes per second or so. Uh, we use Sandisk currently; um, we're, we've tested them and, and used them for quite some time, and they're very reliable for us. But Delkin cards or Lexar or whatever you want to get, as long as um, they're spec out to meet the the performance. Otherwise your video is going to start to buffer overrun and you might have dropped frames or cuz there's a lot of compression going on taking that data from the sensor and and pushing it it's doing some line skipping, some different things to get it onto the uh onto the compact flash card. I just want to say that one of the there's certain investments in photography that you really want to uh, pay attention to when it comes to we've talked about a lot about lenses and things like that, but compact flash cards will save your photography, and, and we've run into some bad... Compact Flash cars are getting really good, and if, if something does happen, there's software you can recover and stuff like that, but uh, that's one of those things, and, and I usually tend to stay around 16 gigabyte cards or so, even for video, and that way you're not putting all your eggs in one basket, because they make up to 64 gig cards. The only real good use for those are when you're doing time-lapse. So just keep those kind of tips in mind when you buy cards. Uh, it's, it's worth the investment, but there's also that middle line where if you go too expensive, you're, in, you're, 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 you're not going to get much out of it. And, and it's not only the actual speed of getting the data on the card, but there's a lot of pluses about having a fast card with you know, a Firewire input or a, USB, a good USB input and in. downloading that imagery is to speed up your workflow. Because when you come back, especially for us in the field, we want to get our imagery down to our computer as fast as possible after a mission and then get it back to whoever we we need to. So the slower that, the, mo- the more that slows you down, uh, the, the more it hurts you. And last thing on the topic, uh, it's interesting because, and I can talk for compact flashcards and SDHC cards are about the same, but two years ago when the 5D Mark II first came out, cards were over 250 300 bucks and for the same spec card today for a 16 gig extreme card you're you're talking like 80 bucks so it's incredible wow. what uh, the tech, how much the technology's come down and it's just it, it's worth that investment to to pay for good cards awesome All right, guys,
0: uh, uh, another quick note. The podcast was brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, featuring featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. Um, And for listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. And I know, Tyler, you're listening to something, uh, one of those, I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk's thing. Yeah. How is that?
2: So I first found out about Gary on TED, and then I actually got his book Crush It. And I'll tell you for any photographer out there that's starting up their own business, this is a book that you definitely – I definitely recommend. I, I got through it. I'm actually going through it the second time just because it's, it teaches you about social media, teaches you about hard work ethic, I mean how to start up a business. And he comes from a, a wine – he started up like Wine Library TV and different things like that. But I mean you can take whatever he's talking about and definitely apply it to photography. So it's, it's definitely a cool, cool one to check out.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. He's a, uh, he's very high energy, you know, so yes. Be, yes, you be, prepared. <laughs> be prepared for a high energy when you listen to, to Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He should be running around the stage. You
2: know. Well, right. one one funny thing he brought up was the fact that a lot of, even as starting up a photography business, I mean, today's the time where we, we have so many resources in the web and stuff to start something up. And it was kind of funny because he talks about, You know, after a hard work days of work in your standard job, you still have time to come back afterwards and kind of do that freelance thing. I know anything from iStock photo or whatnot, just to kind of get started. And he just makes fun of you know not coming home and you know, spending eight hours of your day watching Lost and just getting caught up in a different, yeah. different. Things. So yeah. it's, it's getting out there and making something out of it, out of your time. So yeah, there's definitely.
0: definitely the danger of, you know, working a nine to five and being tired when you get home and vegging out watching TiVo, you fall asleep and you get up and do it again. Yeah. Not, not that I'm talking from personal experience <laughs> yeah. or anything. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we're, we're, it's time for the Picks of the Week. This is the time where each of the guests gives their pick, and this can be hardware, software, gear, or workshop, whatever, as long as it's photography-related. Catherine, um, I'm going to throw it to you first. What's your Pick of the Week?
1: Well, okay, I have, I have my Pick of the Week, but there was one other question that was kind of brought up. that mm-hmm. can, I answer, can I have sort of two Picks of the Week based on one of the...
0: The, the question your, that I skipped? Yes. <laughs> Go ahead.
1: Well um I'll make it quick since since we're on the time constraint but yep. um from Vermont from Life Pixelated he was asking about reflectors and he was you know asking he wanted to buy a set of 5 in 1 reflectors and asking for recommendations and first of all I would say stay away from 5 in 1 reflectors.
0: Really? Okay. Yes.
1: The light quality of a 5 in 1 reflector is so compromised, um, versus the dedicated reflectors. So you're much better off even if you just have one and you may not have the versatility completely. Um, but having that nice quality and sun bounce, I use California Sunbounce exclusively and their reflectors are amazing. And so for this, this person shoots portraits and mostly, um, headshots. So they have what's called a sun mover, which would be a good option, but I actually use They're regular um, sun bounce and it's, it's big, but the larger the source, the softer the light and the light is just absolutely stunning, beautiful, gorgeous. So
0: that's California sun bounce. So get a California sun bounce instead of one of the five in one reflectors.
1: Yeah. Sorry. And then I'll make my next one My pick of the week is the Profoto D1 um, 1000 air system and it's a monoblock system. So you're not having a battery pack. The battery's built into the light and for portability and ease of use. And they're incredibly powerful. You know, it's a thousand Watts. Um, they're just amazing. I exclusively use them. I bring them on location with me, even though it's a studio light all the time. And, um, they're just—they've just absolutely revolutionized my life and made me want to light more than if I was carrying around a big battery pack and a bunch of accessories.
0: Very cool, yeah. Because I know you—you normally do that, right? Carry around the big battery pack and all the modifiers for it with the with the lights.
1: Yeah, now you just—I just literally plug it in. It's like you—you you put it on the stand and plug it in the wall.
0: Awesome. And how much are they, Tyler? You were saying that, right? Yeah.
1: Um, I'm I'm looking right now. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I I I bought mine.
0: Sure it's knows. pro photo, so it's a. Uh, yeah, it's, this is yeah. real, real gear here, right?
1: It is, but it's one of those things where, from a value assessment of, you know, we were talking about the lenses, buying L series lenses. It's sort of like I'd rather invest in it and know that I'm buying the highest quality, obviously for the quality of the image, but then also the durability that's there. So that's I'm not it. going to be having to rebuy them. Yeah, and it's Very not good. totally. And at the same time, actually, I thought they were quite reasonably price, but that's my perspective. I don't know.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, you're digging up the price. Ron, we'll we'll go on to Ron. Ron, what's your your pick of the week? Uh, Just a quick one. It's mostly a plug for a friend of mine. uh, DM
3: Scopatulo wrote uh, the new book on iLife from Peach Pit Press. Oh, cool. uh, iLife 11. So if any of you are still using uh, iPhoto as your photo management tool, then this is a a great little resource to have. It kind of goes into some of the details on using that product in the newest version of it.
0: Very cool.
2: All right. And um, Tyler, what's your pick? Um, I'm going to geek out a little more here as I always do. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're the uh, resident geek and Ron I, uh, is a road warrior. I love it. Um, it is. Hey, well, Chrome uh, introduced their web store this this during this week. And it's actually really interesting stuff. So if you go to Chrome's web store and search for photo, there's some really awesome HTML five web apps. Now, these aren't, a lot of them are just bookmarks to the actual sites. But what's so powerful about this, just like what the iPhone did for the App Store and helping developers get their stuff out and getting them monetized on their, 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 um, their applications they work so hard on, this gives a centralized location where you can rate and comment different apps. And one really cool one I, th- I sent to you earlier uh, last week, I think, Frederick, is the Avery HTML5 photo editor. So this is – all. So let me just say, first of all, as you go through the, the store, you'll notice a lot of it's at its very infant stages. And it's interesting because a lot of the apps look just like the, their iPad or iPhone native apps would look on, on your actual device. So this is all in the cloud, on their browser – And you can actually import a photo, you can um, set a couple effects on it, do the exposure, remove red-eye, save it out, and send it to a friend. And what's so neat about it is, you know, as we move more online and away from, you know, our hard drives and things like that, and I've gotten a lot of kickback from friends and and stuff saying, well, we'll never go, web applications will never take over desktop applications. That might be true for advanced things like Lightroom and Aperture and things where it really is uh, hardware intensive, but I will say that as as bandwidth gets better and as the web gets faster and better, we're going to be finding ourselves as photographers more online, doing more processing and, and pushing things and sharing things and, and going social. And it's interesting because web applications is – really kind of taking over the internet. Uh, There's a really cool article in Wired, uh, I think back in August or September, that talked about the web is dead. Mm -hmm. What they meant by that is a lot of people aren't searching anymore on the web. A lot less people are actually going to Google and typing in things and trying to find stuff there. And this includes your websites and stuff like that. So what they're doing is going to these web applications like Facebook or Twitter or, or Flickr or different things like that. And that's how they're getting all their information and finding it. So as a photographer, keep that in mind moving forward that this is a great way to get your... You know, either start up a a small web application and kind of get big visibility on it, or just uh, looking at how you want to change, might change around your own portfolio moving forward in the future to get more of this kind of uh, application interface that most people are used to using. Very cool. All right. Hey, Catherine, did you find it yet?
1: Yeah. Um, Oh, wait. One last thing, too, is it's their new technology of the air system, so you don't have to have pocket lizards, Oh. Which is pretty sick. I'm just putting that out there. It's
0: built right in. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's built right in. So, so
0: how much? Give us a drum roll. How right. much?
1: Um, drum roll. Yeah. Well, for a single head, which you're never going to do because you need the kit, but for a single head, it's seventeen hundred. For the full kit, which is two heads, umbrellas, stands, blah blah blah, um, thirty one
2: hundred. Mm. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah, but l- the thing is, lighting's in a critical part of it. Is great photography. I mean, it so seem, you're investing. I
1: mean, I spent more on that on my Mac Pro, and like, granted, I you know. A lot more. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you're going to have
0: those lights forever, too. Forever. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to be
1: updating my Mac Pro in three years. So it's like, you know, it's a trade-off sort of thing.
0: Awesome. Very cool. So the the right.
1: L-Series lens is the same price as a single head.
0: That's it's- true. That's true. I'm just being cheap. All right. My pick of the week. Um, I've got two quick ones. One is I just came across this DIY photography studio ebook that shows people on limited budgets how to build, like, You know, stuff to create your little studio in your house if you just want to experiment with that. And um, we'll put the link to that in the show notes. And also, I was on—I had the pleasure of being on Victor Kakiao's, uh Typical Shutterbug podcast last week, and we did a holiday gift ideas episode. So you can you can check that out. And you know, we, there's lots of lots of tips to what to get photographers like Catherine that have everything, or photographers <laughs> you know that don't have everything. You know, what do, what do you get them? My my baseline advice was. Buy photographers that have everything cheap, kitschy photography stuff. You know, they love that. And buy the photographers that don't have everything expensive stuff. (laughs) Then you're set.
1: Okay, I changed my mind. I have nothing. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Too late.
2: All right, that's my tip.
1: Oh, I want to throw in one thing. Tyler, I really enjoy your vlog.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah.
1: Some resource
0: it is you know if you haven't been to tyler's blog be sure to be sure to head over there and we'll we'll definitely link to that tyler you're you're keeping that thing up too it's amazing where do you find the time uh i don't
2: keep it up today as much as i should <laughs> i want to do it more Blogging's hard but it's important it's yeah. just it's hard yeah it is all right guys we are at the end of the
0: show ron brinkman where can people find you uh i'm on twitter it's
3: ron brinkman r-o-n-b-r-i-n-k-m-a-n-n and then i'm also doing a uh a webcast, I guess they're calling it, for Peach Pit Press next week, mm-hmm. middle of next week. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, I don't know, me babbling on for an hour. It's, it's one of those things where you get online and, and it's on there live. Although I think they also record it and you can look at it later. What date? Um, what date
0: is, mm-hmm. is that? Hang the f- on, the fifteenth. <laughs> Is it? Um, I'm th- I'm ho- I'm thinking it's the 15th. I'm not sure. 14th. 14th.
3: Tuesday, December 14th, from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern time, 5 to 6 p.m. Pacific time. If you go to peachpit.com uh, and and uh, just search for Brinkman, and it'll show up in the results somewhere down there. 8 to 9 p.m. Uh, you said. Eight to nine PM Eastern Time. Okay, got it. Yeah. Uh, so this 6, this 6,
0: episode 7, 7. will likely release on Tuesday. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, you you know what you're doing tonight. So there you go.
3: <laughs> yeah, and it's. I mean, they just they asked me to just come on and pick a topic and come on. So what I'm going to be doing is talking about my most recent trip to Venezuela, uh, and it's going to be a mix of sort of you know traveling and doing photography and then post processing after the fact when you get back with all of that stuff. So. Uh, mostly me rambling for about an hour so and I think there's time for a question and answer in there as well awesome that'll be good so yes please tune in I have no idea if it's going to be interesting or a total disaster but hopefully it'll be fun
0: if you if you go there and you you uh, you know you, you, you're you a Twip listener and you're listening to Ron on there make sure you mention when you ask him a question that you are a Twip listener so, yes <laughs> so absolutely give him the love so he can know that the, <laughs> his uh, audience is supporting him alright Catherine where, where are you at online where can people keep up with you
1: Um, On Twitter. So it's just Catherine, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E underscore H-A-L-L, Catherine Hall, Mm -hmm. Um, or my website, which is CatherineHall.net.
0: Very cool. All right. And Tyler Ginter, where are you at online?
2: Uh, You can find me at my blog at TylerGinter.com or on Twitter at Tyler Ginter. Very
0: cool, thanks guys. And if you'd like to keep up with everything in the This Week in Photo universe, you can head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter account, and oh so much more. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at Frederick or at uh, twitter.com slash Frederick Van. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off.
3: This week in photo is a pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. The show's content contributor is Eric Horton.